Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Today, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Job in the Old Testament. It's right in front of Psalms. We're going to begin a new series uh, today entitled Scarred, uh, What to Do When Life Hurts. How many of you have ever been hurt? I expect everybody to raise your hand because it's a universal um, experience. If you've lived and breathed any length of time, at some point you're going to be hurt. You know, I was thinking about this message the other day, and I, I actually can't find any more, but I used to have a scar on my hand where I was helping a friend of mine years ago lay some flooring, and something fell and hit me on my hand, and I was like, oh, man, I remember that. And you may have scars, too, on your arms or hands or leg or something on your body that reminds you of an experience, an accident, you know, an injury that you're trying to forget about, but you're like, man, yeah, I remember that. I remember when that happened. And then some of us have emotional scars, uh, certain things. When certain subjects of discussion are brought up, we just roll the eyes or, you know, we, we get out of the conversation, we shut down, or maybe we just get flat you know, angry, but whatever it is, we've all got scars. And uh, today I want to talk about being scarred and what do we do uh, when life hurts. You're going to find in Job that in the worst moments of his life, he worshiped God and didn't blame him. And so I'm going to entitle my message today, Why Not Worship? Uh, I ran across a quote the other day, of all things, Facebook. Yeah, every once in a while you find some good little inspirations on Facebook. Here's one I found. It says this, Sometimes you must hurt in order to know, fall in order to grow, lose in order to gain, because most of life's greatest lessons are learned through pain. Now think about that. I want to say that again. Sometimes you must hurt in order to know, fall in order to grow, lose in order to gain because most of life's greatest lessons are learned through pain. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of lessons we have to learn sometimes through pain. There's no other way to fully experience or appreciate what something's really like until you've been there, done that. And, uh, you know, I can think of times in my life when I've been through pain and not necessarily physical pain, but just pain to the very core of your being uh, you know you, you can think about you know losing a loved one you can think about you know maybe you know a, a disagreement between you and someone and it's never the same after that uh, you can think of you know somebody violated your trust or whatever you can think of all kinds of scenarios in life where you get hurt and then you have to make a decision about how are you going to handle that hurt I think it comes down to this. Here's what I've learned about pain in my own life. It's either a very bitter pill uh, that can kill you, or it's the best medicine you'll ever take to become a stronger person. Now think about that. That's true. How you handle your hurt, it's either going to be a bitter kill pill that kills you, or it's going to be the best medicine you ever take to make you a stronger person. And the thing is, you get to decide. It's your choice how you handle your hurt. Sometimes you can't keep from getting hurt. 
If you've been in life any length of time, it's going to happen. We're all going to have those days of storms rather than sunshine. There's going to be times when people let you down, maybe not on purpose, and then there's going to be times that people uh, you know, hurt you because they don't care about your feelings. There's going to be times in life when you get hurt, and you can't prevent that, but you can prepare yourself right now and make up in your mind, how am I going to handle that? when it happens to me. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Today I have a, a video for you, and as they get that ready, I wanna say this. How many of y'all remember, this goes back all the way to 2006, so it's been 13 years. But how many, many, many of y'all remember on the news in 2006 when there was a Amish school shooting in Pennsylvania? You remember that? Yeah, it's one thing to hear about school shootings, you know, like Columbine, Colorado, and all that. Uh, but, you know, an Amish school shooting, it happened in 2006 in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, 10 or 11 were, were hit, 5 didn't make it. And uh, I want to show a video because as I thought about what's the worst thing that can happen, how bad of a day could you imagine having? Well, you're going to see a, a short video clip where they interviewed the mother of the guy that did it. If you remember what happened, he, he shot... The, those uh, kids in the school and then he turned it upon himself and then they interviewed the mom and this interview is 10 years later and then a year after this interview she died of cancer but let's look at that video and then we'll come back That day, as I arrived at my son's home, I was on the ground in a fetal position, feeling like everything inside of me would be expelled. But what happened on October 2nd became um, a time where you need the deepest of the deep. And if you're going to question anything about faith or God, it's in those times that you are either broken or God can use whatever is allowed in your life to build character within to meet a new day. I was able to say, okay, God, this is so bad. This is, this is beyond anything I could ever comprehend in my life. If there is anything in this that you can turn around and use to your glory, you do that because this is as bad as it gets. It's like anything that happened in my life, I could always look around and say, well, at least this isn't as bad as so-and-so. But no, this was as bad as it gets. Nothing could have been worse. God's word is what has anchored me and given me such a stability. Uh, 
Um, many felt like this forgiveness was too automatic. It was too quick. Uh, the Amish will be the first to say forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness, what I have learned through this, it is a decision that we make. It is not a feeling. It is not an emotion. Any one of these families, they would tell you, this has not been an easy road to travel. Freedom comes from forgiving. When we can forgive, we do not become bitter. I guess that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through this, is really rethinking forgiveness and what that looks like. Oh, that's easy to answer. That would be Henry. That would be Henry showing up at our door on day one. His ministering to my husband was the first sign. Henry is our Amish neighbor across the street. And so he's on the board for uh, three of the local Amish schools. They had closed their schools that day. And afterwards, with um, hesitation on his part, because numerous times he turned around and went back up, back up the lane, and yet um, just felt, no, he was to be here um, that day. And uh, he truly was a gift from God because he came in and just left him know that we love you, we don't hold anything against you. And that just spoke to my husband's heart. When I saw my husband look up into Henry's eyes, the first time he lifted his head that day and said, thank you, Henry, it was like, wow. I guess what I would like people to... Um, glean from the sorrow and the sadness that we have experienced in life because of the depths of what our family has been through and the Amish community has been through. I want everyone to know that there is hope for a future. There is a tomorrow. And the way we approach that tomorrow depends on the choices that we make today. So as you can see, the worst possible thing that she could ever imagine happened. And she just said, God, this is as worse as it gets. I hope you can do something with it. And if you remember that story and the aftermath of it, how that community came together, how the Amish people um, demonstrated forgiveness and how it just really sent a message that was heard all around the world. What an amazing example of how a group of people had a faith response in the Lord in the midst of one of the worst tragedies that they could ever imagine. And what I want to do today is I want us to go to the scripture to find the same thing. And the, really the key question here is, how are you going to handle your pain? Are you going to let it make you bitter or better? Look, if you will, in Job chapter 1, and I want to read his story. And I want you just to pay attention to how blessed Job is. And then in a moment, it's all gone. Job chapter 1. Verse 1, 
There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Here's what happens next. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger, this is the fourth one, came and reported, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job stood up. He tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped. You didn't see that coming, did you? He worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Now, what just happened here? We have a whole lot to process. Well, it's got, we got three questions to ask that will help us understand everything that's happening. The first question is, what happened? Well, in one day, one day, Job lost everything. Now, he lost his 
500 oxen and 500 donkeys and all but one servant was killed and that was the first messenger that came. The second messenger said that all of his sheep, all 7,000, were killed plus all of his servants except for one who survived and came and told him that. The third messenger came and said, all 3,000 of your camels and all the servants except for me, uh, uh, they died and here I am to tell you what happened. And then a fourth messenger comes and tells him the worst news of all. Hey, Job, all ten of your kids, seven boys, three girls, there was a bad accident, and they're all gone. Just like that. That's what happened. Now, the question is, why did this happen? Very unusual story, very unusual book here in the Bible, Job. What makes it unique is not that this happened, which that's part of it, but the other part is why it happened. If you read Job 1 all over again, you will find that when you least expect it, out of the blue, here is this dialogue between God and the devil. And God says, hey, devil, what are you doing? Well, I've been walking around the earth, you know, just biding my time. And he says, well, hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody else on earth like him. He fears me. He shuns evil. He's a man of integrity. He's blameless. There's nobody like him. And then Satan says, oh, yeah? Well, I can tell you why, God. You take care of him. You bless him. You put a hedge of protection around him. You've multiplied the, 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 the work of his hands. And look how wealthy he is. If you, if you just take everything away, woof, he'll curse you to your face. And the crazy part of the story is, God says, all right, Satan, I'll let you take everything from him, but don't lay a hand on him. And then everybody's like, what? God does allow things to happen. But, and this, goes, this is a side note, the devil can never touch us. He has to go through God first. You know, Peter in the New Testament, when he told Jesus, I'll be with you, I'll be with you to the end. And Peter says, Satan has requested permission, Peter, to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. You know, Satan always wants to try to come in and throw a wrench in things. He wants to spoil everything. But he has to go to God, get through to you. And just know that if God allows the devil to do something, God is large and in charge. He's in control, and there is a reason. But that gets into why, doesn't it? When you want to know why something happens, you've got to know the reason. There's an unseen dynamic in this story. And the incredible thing is, we read Job chapter 1 and we go, whoa. But Job didn't know that, that chapter of his story existed. All Job knows is he's a blessed man, and he wakes up one day, and then the unthinkable happens. Four messengers, one after the other. Hey, man, you've lost it all. In a blink of an eye, he loses it all, and he doesn't know why. But because we get to read his story, we already know what's going on, but he doesn't. Isn't that how life is? Things happen to us, and we go, what is that? Why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? And we don't know, but you know what? God does. You see, Job is being tested by God, and he's being tempted by Satan. And the issue is, who is he going to yield to? Is this going to be a temptation where he curses God to his face because now he's got a raw deal in life? Or is he going to be faithful to God through good times and bad 
and pass the test? We'll find out. <clears throat> the question is this, how did Job respond? You know, why is a question that inquiring minds want to know, but I've come to know that there's a lot of things in life that I don't understand, and I can ask why, 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 and nothing really satisfies the curiosity. Kind of like when you're a kid and you're asking your mom and dad, hey, why this, why that? Because, 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 what's the next question? Because, why, right? And, uh, you know, eventually they, they grow out of that. But as adults, we have our own questions with God. Hey, God, why, 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 why? Ultimately, we have to live in the, the real world every day. We have to get up every morning. We have to live with ourselves. We have to live with what we're going through. The better question is how do we respond? If we can't control it, and if we can't change it, then we have one, one question left. How do we handle it? How did Job respond? Well, verse 22 says, Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Now, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Matter of fact, look at what he uh, did there in verse 20. After hearing this news... It says he stood up, he tore his robe, and shaved his head. That, that is a sign of grief in his culture in that day and time. He fell to the ground, and he worshipped. He worshipped. And then his first words out of his mouth that are recorded after hearing this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he didn't just say that so we'd talk about it someday. I mean, he lived it, and that was in his heart. That's how he handled it. And then there was a second test, and I won't read that, but in chapter 2, there's another scenario. Here comes God and the devil again, and they're having a conversation. And God basically says he's still faithful. And then Job says, you had not made him hurt enough, God. Let me touch him, and he will curse you surely to his face. And, and God says, okay, devil, I'll let you touch him, but you cannot take his life. And the next thing you know, all these sores pop out on Job's body. And now, not only has he lost everything, now his health is bad. And you know what? He still is faithful to God. Matter of fact, it gets so bad that even his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? And there in Job 2, verse 10, here's his response. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? And throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So you look at Job's response and you sort of got to get into his mindset to understand his integrity and his character. You see, he understood that we begin life with nothing and we will end life with nothing. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. So I started out with nothing, I'm going to end with nothing, and now that I have nothing, it could be the end. And I've just got to accept the fact that if this is the way it happens and this is the way it goes, then... I'm ready. He also knew that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. In other words, he knew who, who God was. And he's like, you know, Lord, I, I don't understand it. You give, but you also take away, and you have that right. And so that shaped Job's attitude and mindset. But here's what really shows his integrity. 
He chose to worship God no matter what. Now think about that. I mean, the worst news of his life, the worst day of his life, and yet he chooses to worship God no matter what. And his question says so much. There in chapter 2, verse 10, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? I mean, think about the experience of, of life. I mean, it's full of highs and lows and ups and downs. And you know what? There are good times and then there are hard times. And I think we've all had some hard times. We try to forget those. But they make us who we are. Well, the bottom line is this. And here's, here's my question today that I want to answer, and I'll do it quickly. How do we overcome our scars? Because this message is called Scarred. Uh, how to handle life's hurts. How do you handle them when you have scars? Well, you've got to overcome your scars. How do you overcome your scars? Number one, choose to worship God because of who He is. Choose to worship God because of who He is. At the end of the day, Job's first response was to fall down and worship God because of who God was. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes how many times we worship God for who He is and not just what He's done. I don't have anybody in particular when I say this, but through the years of being a Christian and through the years of being a pastor, uh, you'll ever once in a while hear a story of someone. And I remember years ago hearing a story of someone who became mad and bitter at God because they lost a family member. And they became mad and bitter at God. And um, here's the thing. I have to ask this question. When it comes to how we worship God, do we see Him as Father or do we see Him as a genie in a bottle? Let me, let me explain what I mean. When you worship God as Father, you truly love Him for who He is. You know, you grow up, you love your mom and dad. Kids today, you should love your mom and dad. And you love them because they're your mom and dad, right? just because that's who they are. They're your mom, they're your dad, you only got one of them, and you're glad you got them. But when we worship God, instead of who He is, we worship God for how He's blessed us, then the issue is, are we still going to worship Him when we don't have the blessing? Sometimes people treat God like a genie in a bottle. As long as they get what they want, woo, yes, Lord, all right. But as soon as the blessings go away, they forget the blesser, and they no longer worship him. And they get mad at him because now they don't have all the toys that they used to enjoy. How do we overcome our scars? We have to choose to worship. But we have to worship God because of who he is. You know why? Because that never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by the way, you know why we can worship God because of who he is? It occurred to me, we need to remember something about God. He has scars too. Think about that. When Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to the disciples, all of them were there except Thomas. Oh, doubting Thomas. We always talk about doubting Thomas. And then Thomas hears about it and says, Well, unless I see 
the, the scars in his hands and his feet and, and, and that where they put the spear in his side, I won't believe. And then the next time they're all together, Jesus appears and says, all right, Thomas, have a look at it. In other words, even though Jesus rose from the dead, he still has scars. We can worship this great God of ours in Scripture because he too has scars. And the story behind his scars is incredible. He gave everything for us. But we'll talk about that at the very end. So the second thing I want to tell you real fast is how do you overcome your scars? You choose to worship God. And second, you refuse to be a victim and blame God. You refuse to be a victim and blame God. You look at chapter 1 of Job's story. It could have been very easy for him to play the victim card. Woe is me. Nobody knows the sorrow and the trouble that I have seen. Oh, let me tell you how bad it is. No, that is not how he, he handled it. He immediately dropped to his knees and he worshiped God. We live in a culture today that rewards bad behavior. If you want to do something, just play the victim card. Oh, you poor thing. You'll get sympathizers and you'll get all kinds of attention. But we live in a, in a world where God rules and one of these days the excuses are going to disappear and we're going to have to stand before God. And then none of us are going to be victims. We're all going to stand before God and have to answer to Him for our own behavior. Refuse to be a victim and blame God. It's easy to do. The question I want to ask you is this. Who's at the center of your story? If you're at the center of your universe, then when something goes wrong, oh, it's so hor horrible. Let me tell you what happened to me. Oh, ain't it awful? And you, you, you get people to sympathize for you, and you, woe is me, woe is me. But if God, if God is at the center of your story, what do you do? <laughs> you do what Job did. You hit your knees, and you say, God, you give, you take away, blessed be your name. Now you think about that. God was at the center of Job's life. He was at the center of Job's story. The devil read it all wrong. He saw this wealthy, well-to-do man and said, if you take that stuff away from him, he ain't going to love you, God. And God says, okay. And God won that wager because he knew what was in Job's heart. He knew that he truly loved God. He feared God. He shunned evil. The third thing I want you to realize, how do we overcome our stars, uh, scars? We choose to worship God because of who He is. We refuse to be a victim and blame God. And the third and final thing, we lose the excuses in our life. Lose the excuses. If you want to overcome scars in your life, God's got to heal you, and you've got to be open to letting Him heal you. But at some point in that process, there comes a day when you have to get off the fence. There comes a time when you've got you've to lose the excuses or you're never going to get to be where God wants you to be. Here is Job. He's passed the first test. He's lost everything. His kids, all ten of them, and one day, all of his possessions. And then the next thing you know, here comes round two. And now he loses his health. And the one person left that's closest to him, humanly speaking, is his wife. And the devil works through her. 
and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And what does Job say? His question is this. Should we not accept only good from God and not adversity? Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? I mean, come on. I mean, life is full of ups and downs. Are we just going to you know, pull God out of the closet and say, oh yeah, we're Christians, we're fine, God's so good when things are great. But then when things go south, we're just going to say, forget him. I didn't like him anyway. Is that how it really works? I don't think so. We have to lose the excuses in our life. The devil wants to keep you in bondage to fear, to resentment, to hate. And he'll do it for years if you'll let him. How long are you going to let an old grievance, an old hurt, steal your joy? How long are you going to let it discourage you? How long are you going to let it defeat you and stand in the way between you and God? It's not worth it. Lose the excuses. Years ago, one of the ladies in a church where I served shared this uh, quote from Joyce Meyer that I thought was pretty good. It says, when we complain about our current situation, we remain in it. When we praise God in the midst of difficulty, He raises us out of it. And that's so true. If you complain, you're going to remain right where you are. But if you praise God, He'll raise you out of that because you live by faith and not by sight. And He will help you become the overcomer that you are in Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are today, but I can tell you that we all have scars. But one reason that gives me comfort and inspiration is I worship a God who has scars too. You see, he loved you so much that even though you rejected him, even though you didn't even knew that he existed, you didn't even care less about him, Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's always spoke to me. You see, God doesn't say, hey, you need to clean up your act. If you clean up your act, stop talking that way, stop acting that way, and get in church, then I might do something in your life. That's not how God works. God says, you know what? While you are still a sinner, while you were lost, while you were a sinner, while you didn't even know I was real and you could care less if I was, while you were still a sinner, I sent my son and he died for you. And he rose again. And even though he'll never die again and he lives forevermore, he's got the scars in his hands to prove how much he loves you. I can worship a God like that, can't you? He loves us so much that he gave his own son so that you and I could be saved. And when God talks about pain and when he talks about sorrow and when he talks about hurt, <laughs> you're not going to lay a new one on him. He's seen it all. And he's got the scars to prove it. What about you today? Are you willing to worship when your worst day ever happens? Are you still willing to say, naked I came, naked I'll leave, and the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord, and just worship? You know, the Amish, that story, that the interview that we talked about, they forgave 
from day one. They live their lives in such a way that they don't hold grudges. They, they don't let the toxic feelings from, from things that have happened in the past go unresolved and, and spoil today and tomorrow. They, they don't. They lay it down. They let it go. And they'll tell you forgiveness is not easy. But you make a decision. And then you process your emotions. And you depend on God to do the right thing each and every day. How are you going to handle the next time you get hurt? Are you going to worship? Or are you going to whine? If you whine, go ahead. It'll feel great. You'll even get an audience. But you won't be the same between you and God. And I don't know about you, no matter what happens to me, no matter what I go through, I never want to get to the place to where I'm unaware of God's presence in my life. I want to know that no matter what I go through, no matter what I encounter, He is with me. And I'm going to make sure that as far as it's within my power, I don't want to do anything to hinder my ability to experience and enjoy God's presence step by step moment by moment, no matter what happens in my life. And I encourage you to do the same. So today, here's the takeaway. What are you going to do with the hurt in your life? What are you going to do with the pain? It can be a bitter kill, pill that kills you, or it can be the best medicine you ever took to make you a stronger person. It's really up to you. Let's all stand as the musicians come, maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe you need to be reminded that we serve a God who has scars, that He loved us so much, even though we didn't deserve it, He sent His Son to die on that cross for you. If you'll turn from your sin, come and trust and follow Jesus. He will save you. He's got the scars to prove that it's already been done. Payments already been made. But you've got to ask Him to come into your life. You've got to call upon His name, the Bible says. Romans 10, 13, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You've got to ask Him to come into your life. If you're willing to do that, then you just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord, I ask you to come into my life. I want to trust and follow you the rest of my days. And it's not about the words. It's about the attitude of the heart. If you're willing to ask Him to come in today, once you come down and make public your faith, we'll talk about believer's baptism and the next step. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning. Maybe you realize, you know, I've been hurt a lot in the past, and I've let the hurt become a wall. And that wall is really big right now. I don't let anybody near me. I don't let anybody get too close. Can I tell you something? Don't let that pain be a wall. Let it be a bridge between you and God. Because he's got the scars. He's already been down the road to pain. And he overcame it. And he can show you how to. But you've got to trust him. Father, we come before you. Lord, we pray for your will to be done today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, 
please visit phbcsummerset.com.